You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. We're back with the uh, second episode of a uh, ongoing long-term view of the Teamsters Union and their connection to organized crime. Now, Cam, you talked about last week about you know how the rank-and-file guys always supported Hoffa. They loved Hoffa, and they felt like any outside interference from that Bobby Kennedy, especially, he was this little rich kid, and they're trying to tell them how to do their business, which I can see with his accent and everything, and then you got Hoffa's kind of uh, uh, not really street, but... Uh, but more working class, shall we say, accent. And, and Bobby Kennedy, he'd been to Harvard and raised with, uh, you know, in the finest of circumstances and surrounded by people that talk different than Timmy often did, uh, real intellectual type. And uh, so I, I remember talking to a teamster sometime, I'd say in the 70s, and he didn't know exactly what I did, that he didn't know I was in the intelligence unit. That didn't really mean anything to him, but I just kind of brought up the teamsters just to get, try to get a feel for. You know, what these guys think, you know, that because it had been in the papers by then about all the different organized crime people and Roy Williams in Kansas City. And and he and, and his reaction or retort was, well, he said, a goddamn government. He said, the federal government, they want to break the Teamsters Union. And so they just go after certain people and and make them look bad and, you know, come up with cases against them. And, and they just want to they want to break our union. They want to hurt us is what they want to do. So. You know, that was a prevailing thought of the working guy about any investigation into the union. Uh, and that's, that's really hard to, uh, to overcome that, to get people to say, hey, these people are bad. Uh, you, no matter what you tell them, uh, you, you, you can't really show them exactly uh, how they're bad. And you can show that they have these connections, but they don't really believe, you know, they believe that Hoffa would then, you know, he would control these mob guys and use them to help them get up the Teamsters rank and file, get better contracts and, and have a better pension and, and all that. They they were pretty well, uh, uh, I'd say, snowed, if might, for want of a better term, by Jimmy Hoffa and, and his uh, mystique. There was a certain mystique about Hoffa among that rank and file, which really carried on to the subsequent Roy Lee Williams and, and Jackie Presser. Really, they, they bask in, in the... Uh, kind of the reputation of Jimmy Hoffa because he was, they were his guys. He appointed them and he was, you know, he, he was such a strong central figure in this. But now we're up to 1957 and uh, uh, after the McClellan hearings and Hoffa is uh, really making a run on the presidency. Dave Beck, who I can't remember much about him, but he was in the news a lot back then. He was kind of a uh, uh, he was a strong, long-time union guy, but he just wasn't as charismatic and strong as Hoffa, as best my memory serves me. Hey, Cam. Hey, Cam. St- uh, 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 I'm going to start that over again about... Uh, because I forgot to start this recording. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cut out all that other. I'll leave that other in the podcast. But for this, I say, hey, Cam, we're, we're, uh, hey, Cam, we're up to uh, 1957 and the presidency of the Teamsters Union. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa has, has been a long-term uh, active 
vice president and president of his local and really well known, but they have a, a president, Dave Beck, who's been the president for quite a while. It always seemed to me, I remember the headlines about him, seemed like kind of a weak guy. But uh, Hoffa then goes for the international president's position. So tell us a little bit about that. It was like it was in 1957, yeah. You know, Hoffa believed that the the leadership should should rest with the presidency, and the presidency should support the locals. You know, uh, Dave Beck felt, and and prior to Hoffa, they felt that more of the strength was in the locals, and that the locals were really where the negotiating and the bargaining power were. All all contracts should be should be negotiated at the local level. If the locals dealing with this trucking firm, then that local should have their own contract. And uh, Jimmy felt that, that, that things have to be done on the national level in order to really carry weight. So Jimmy wanted a really, really strong presidency. And that's how he sort of campaigned. And that's how he, that's why the men really, really loved him because they saw a really strong champion, basically. He had set up the pension. He had really boosted membership. He had the mafia. The mafia had his back. And really at that time, if you had the executive board, the, the vice presidents supporting you, and the vice presidents were totally controlled by the mob, you know, you had, had uh, Bill Presser with the Cleveland mob, you had, uh, I think, was, was Roy Williams in 1957? I can't remember, but, but yeah, I know he that, was, that he was. yeah. Savella had him by yeah, then. Yeah, Savella had him. And the interesting story on that is he and Savella met each other while both sat on a uh, Jackson County, which is what Kansas City's in, a Democratic nominating committee. There was a committee that was the Democratic local party that would meet and decide who was going to run for certain offices. And, and our mob boss sat on that committee with uh, <laughs> Roy Lee Williams, who was the main team, was the president of the biggest uh, local 41 Teamsters Union in the city. He also was president of a 541. Uh, so he was... Uh, he was the big duck, and they met each other then, and it was during that time that that they formed this relationship and this connection. It was probably, I'm sure, it was prior to 1957. Yeah, you know, so you've got you've got Kansas City, Cleveland, you've got Tony Provenzano in, with the Genovese family. Uh, uh, 57, I believe you had uh, uh, Joey Glimco in Chicago, but you also had Dorfman. So you, you he had the the mafia guys. Uh, maybe you had McCarthy with uh, Patriarca. So once once you've got the mob, you've got the executive board, and so you've got the presidency. Now that's an interesting thing about this. He Hoffa was loved by the rank and file, but the rank and file didn't really vote. If I remember right. what you said before, they didn't really vote on the president. So if, if they had an executive board made up of these Roy Lee Williams and a different local presidents that made up this executive board, so if you owned the executive board, then they elected the president. Correct. Right. Where where that rank and file comes in though is for the the places that are not mobbed up, sort of the 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 outside areas. You know, you got a place like Minnesota or or, or wherever Arizona. You've got more of the the rank and file that are supporting a, a a guy areas that are not mobbed up. If the rank and file there, they they will lean on their vice president, and he will tend to support. Jimmy Hoffa, based more on his his rank and file, if that, if that makes sense. In areas where the mob does not does not play in, they will have something of a voice, but not not too much. I mean, the guy can. It's almost like the the electoral college. They they can do what they want, but uh, they will be some sway on their members. Plus, they all love Jimmy Hoffa, so right. You know, they're they're 
vice president, uh, whoever they sent as a representative, uh, he's going to represent his rank and file with, you know, no matter the mob, he's still going to support Hoff because he was so well loved. Exactly. It's kind of a perfect combination of, of personal charisma and, and hard work and ability on Hoffa's part, but also the, the mob connections too. So he, he, he left nothing to chance, did he? No, he, he really covered all his bases. So once Hoffa's in there, he gets to pick who's president of the locals. All the officers are now either mobbed up or loyal to Hoffa, and he has basically gets total control of the Union by putting Hoffa loyalists everywhere. And that was, that was how Hoffa basically, I mean, it was dictatorial control. I mean, he was, he was literally a little, little dictator of, of the Union, which is why even years later, when Hoffa was eventually removed, he still had his fingers in everything in that Union because he planted his people everywhere. You had uh, Chicago Joey Glimco as, as, a, as a local president. He was making 78 grand a, a month in payoffs from, from businesses to, for Union Peace. Alan Dorfman was Union casualty on the board. He was also a, an executive. He was So that's two people looking out for the Chicago outfit. Kansas City with the uh, Local 41 and, and Joint Council 56 with uh, Roy Lee Williams. Uh, Patriarca had uh, William McCarthy, you had Tony Provenzano, and uh, you just, you look at these areas, and each one is just mobbed up, mobbed up, mobbed up. You know, what was his, uh, uh, Frank Rainey in, uh, in Milwaukee? It was really so integrated between the mob and uh, and the Teamsters. I, I, I forget who it was in... Um, not Pennsylvania, in uh, Philadelphia, but it, it's really, throughout my research, it was just every single place you, you've got it controlled by Philadelphia. It was Angela Bruno, and it was really across the board. So Hava didn't like individuality in his... He wanted, he wanted total control. As his secretary and eventual uh, vice president, he chose an old partner of his from Detroit, Frank Fitzsimmons. Other members of the board had to answer to their respective mob bosses, but Frank Fitzsimmons would only answer to Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, he, Jimmy Hoffa owned Frank Fitzsimmons. Jimmy kind of, he treated him kind of bad. He sort of looked at him like an inferior. He'd yell at him in front of people, you know, you're such a dummy and, and get over here, Fitz, and, you know, that kind of thing. He knew that Fitz would always do what he was told, which... And the end would kind of come back to bite him because when Jimmy wasn't there telling him what to do, other people would step in and Fitz would do what he was told by other people. He chose Fitzsimmons because he knew he could control him. I mean, you're going to be a, a strong central figure like that. You don't want to choose a strong guy to, to be uh, you know, next to you. You want somebody <laughs> right. to do exactly what you say. And then the mob guys love that, as we'll find out later on. He, he'll... Uh, Fitz, Fitz just liked to go play golf, they tell me. <laughs> they had a great big, uh, what that, yeah. a Rancho Mirage out in uh, California that the Teamsters built a big fancy golf club, and, and Fitz would spend more time out there than he ever did in uh, the International Association. Yeah, he just wanted to play golf. Brotherhood of Teamsters offices. And then Hoffa maintains the strengths of the pension, and, but while all this is going on, Hoffa does... does he is negotiating good contracts for people. Locals are not to negotiate contracts without him. He's, he, he controls every move. He's, you want to talk about micromanaging, Hoffa does everything. Here's where you see the 1960 election. This is where the mob came in and supported, supported John Kennedy. 
This is one example where you see Jimmy not falling in with the mob. The mob wanted to support, I mean, this is pretty well established. Some people may not buy into it, but, you know, we, we know from a lot of, of uh, recordings that the mob wanted to support John Kennedy for for various reasons. Jimmy refused to do that. Chicago? Yeah. If you think about it, it was Chicago that was really big. In exactly. That's, uh, that's all those uh, local, it was all Democrats mm -hmm. up there. And they were all owned by uh, the mob. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that's why the mob did so well and the outfit yeah. did so well. First ward. They had every dang politician in Cook County and the surrounding counties wired up and they were all Democrats. So, I mean, they're going to have to support a Democrat and, and that's kind of where you get, uh, you get on board there. Uh, in Hoffa, he, he, he ever the rebel, huh? I see in your notes here that he, uh, he gave five hundred thousand dollars to Richard Nixon's yeah. campaign. <laughs> I, I think the mob hoped that they could get Havana back. If you know, that's yeah. that's kind of yeah, what uh, Joe Kennedy yeah. kind of kind of promised to him. But uh, yeah, that that was part of the overall thing. Mm -hmm. You know that that if uh, Kennedy gets in, which we see a lot more evidence of Kennedy's effort to to get get Cuba back and, and get rid of Castro. And once you got rid of the communist government, then it's going to open up the casinos. Hell, they're still trying to do that today. They want to open it up to get, get the communists out and then they're going to open up those casinos. And believe me, those mob guys will be all over that. Man, they better come up with some good... Uh, Good gaming control boards if they ever open right. up gambling in, in uh, Cuba again, because they'll be all over that one. Hava did not toe the mafia line here. He did his own thing, and he had his rank and file support uh, Nixon. And I think Nixon lost by thirty thousand votes. So it looks like the mob trumped the Teamsters, but the Teamsters went their own way. So uh, that's you, you see where Jimmy does have an independence from the mob. He t he's able to tell them no. For the pension board, sometimes not as maybe often as he should have, but uh, and and he goes his own way politically. So that's that independence that eventually gets him in a little bit of trouble. And and you know hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. uh, but when John Kennedy gets elected president and puts Bobby Kennedy in, he becomes uh, a huge thorn in the side of uh, of the mafia and. And Jimmy Alpha, he's probably laughing all over himself <laughs> when he'd see those guys. He'd probably go, "Yeah, see what you did, <laughs> see what you did." Yeah. And Bobby, I, you know, he he went after the mob. Did he go after Hoffa? Yeah. So much. He he sure he set up. I remember this. He set up the he set up these illegal wiretaps all over the country. He gave the FBI pretty much uh, carte blanche to uh, to go around and and do wiretaps. All those illegal wiretaps. Uh, and I've I've read some some uh, uh, defense of those uh, guys like like Bill Romer and, and Robert Blakey who wrote the uh, who wrote the the, Re the Rico law have said yeah you know, Title Three yeah they they testified and they said well yeah they were illegal but we've got them we might as well use them you know and then Romer said well do we really need to do we really need probable cause to to do recordings of mob guys, do we really? We know they're breaking the law, so why do we need? He said, "I know civil libertarians are going to jump all over me, but do we really need knowing that they're mob? Isn't that enough? Isn't that isn't that a, a predicated act? You know, there was a definite uh, opinion against these guys in the FBI." Yeah, I see. This is an interesting one. You mentioned a little bit about this before last week. Is there was a tape in Raymond Patriarca's office? Yeah, and they they take people coming to Patriarca offer to pay him some money 
for an introduction to our meeting with Hoffa. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Kennedy's Kennedy's little uh, uh, foray into wiretapping paid off right away yeah. to show the the real depth of connection of the Teamsters Union and the and organized crime. Literally had the Get Hoffa Squad. He was, I don't know, there were 20 or 30 agents just going after, and, you know, most of them were lawyers, and that was that was their sole purpose, because Hoffa was still, was, I mean, uh, uh, Kennedy was still ticked off about the, the McClellan hearings, so he had guys just going after Hoffa. You know, you've got uh, Kennedy and, and Hoover and, and uh, uh, Anslinger and the DEA all coming after the mob. Yeah, now, now, for those who don't know Harry Anslinger, he yeah. was... Uh, uh, this was actually before the formal DEA. This was the old Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And, and Bill Owsley would always say that if you want to find good mob information, before Appalachian especially, go to the DEA or the, uh, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics files because they yeah. really kept a lot Incredible. of information when they worked all those old heron conspiracies starting back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, they they documented a lot of a lot of stuff on the mob where the FBI wasn't really writing it down and they weren't really taking a look at it. So that's who Ans- Anslinger was. Yeah, they've got the big mafia book that came out before uh, uh, Appalachian. That uh, this every mob guy they knew who was involved in narcotics around the uh, around the yeah, world. They laid it out too, yeah. didn't they? Don't you have a copy of that? I you know they, what I I I was trying to order one, but uh, I I did have one. I left it in in Virginia. I was trying to order a second one. Yeah, I, I think Alzi's got. It. He said it really lays it out. Yeah. Just, you know, you, you look at that and you know why things are the way they are twenty years later. Yeah. So you've got you've got everybody bearing down on the mob once once Jimmy once uh, once John Kennedy gets elected. We know that Frank Regano was Hoffa's lawyer. He was also the lawyer to Santo Traficante and Carlos Marcello. And we know that years after Regano said that he was with Traficante and Marcello when when Kennedy's death was announced and they toasted and sort of celebrated. We know Marcello said if you want to kill a dog, you don't cut off the tail, you cut off the head. Hoffa said it looks like Bobby Kennedy is another is just another lawyer. So we know that John Kennedy died. Now did uh did Hoffa and the mob were they mixed up in it? I don't know. That that depends on on where you are on the conspiracy trail. But we'll, you know, sort of leave it there. But that's that's where Hoffa and the mob fall on the John Kennedy assassination uh and, conspiracy. And what's difficult about that is this Jack Ruby thing. Yeah, that that if, if it hadn't been for this Jack Ruby thing, if, if he see Jack Ruby was a strip club owner from Chicago and had a lot of mob connections and and had moved to Dallas and I, I you know to believe that this kind of mob associate strip club owner who I knew a lot of those guys in Kansas City they were in every major city there were strip clubs and there were usually the owners would be have some kind of mob connection some kind of association. How that guy took it upon himself to think, you know, that, well, this man killed President <laughs> Kennedy, I'm going to go kill him just out of nowhere. I mean, those kinds of people don't usually do any kind of altruistic things. I mean, they, if they're not going to get anything out of it, they're not going to do it. I mean, they just don't. Even to this day, what kind of a, a, a club owner do you know that's going to go out and do anything? Big patriot. going to help mankind. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I think he felt like that he was going to help mankind by killing the man that killed President Kennedy. So uh, it's, a, 
it's a strange one. If it anybody else but but Jack Ruby or somebody like him, you know, any kind of, you know, some construction worker out here or even, you know, some lawyer or doctor that just flipped his wig and went down there with a gun and <laughs> killed him, there wouldn't be any controversy. That's the whole controversy, that whole conspiracy thing would have died out as far as the mob was concerned. Yeah. They had other conspiracy theories going on. It's like a, it's kind of a crime that just lent itself to conspiracy theories. Yeah, absolutely. When they killed the guy that, that did the deed right away like that. Robert Kennedy was no longer the attorney general. Maybe the damage had been done to the mob and to Hoffa, but Hoffa continues on as, as the president. Uh, he's got a few charges hanging over his head, but while this is going on, uh, while Hoffa is fighting against Robert Kennedy and everything from about 1961 to 1964, so uh, John Kennedy died in 62, I think 61 or 62. Or 63. Jimmy Hoffa is negotiating the Master Freight Agreement, which was just an incredible piece of negotiation. Jimmy Hoffa had to go to every local around the country and basically every shipper, and he had to get them all on the same page and uh, he had to get the members to support it, more or less. And, uh, you know, you'll offer this much every day. You'll, you'll, this much guaranteed pay, this many hours a day guaranteed, and uh, this much holiday pay, and this much overtime. And it sounds, and now we come to accept that as, you know, that's just kind of the norm. But, but back in this time, that, that was just not, not done. It was it was something completely new, and Jimmy basically did it single-handedly, going around the country. That's why it took that's why it took three years to do three or four years, and he did it. The mob helped. If he couldn't get a business to sign on, they would slash tires and break windows, burning burn the place down. If maybe some local uh, president wouldn't go along with it, then Jimmy'd pull him out and put somebody in who would. Uh, you know if. Uh, he this was a place where he really used the mob to help him but it still it still took Jimmy off of 4 years he he came up with the master freight agreement which was the first national contract guaranteeing rights for for uh, truckers and this is after they were kicked out of the AFL CIO so basically Jimmy was doing it totally on his own and this really cemented his reputation amongst the truckers. So they would go anywhere with any firm, and they would get the same rights and the same guarantees, uh, and they couldn't be paid less anywhere they went. It was really, really uh, uh, Jimmy's crowning achievement. And the mob absolutely helped him well, with that it. Was, that was a huge effort. It was. Uh, I mean, you're saying that if you were a teamster in a dock in... Uh, Wichita, Kansas, or you're a teamster on the dock in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, or Detroit, then uh, there's a certain rate of pay that you got for whatever your job classification was, uh, yeah. where you live. That's interesting. Now, I'm, I'm sure that they'd all negotiated individually across the country, the different locals to, you know, they might band together in Kansas City or Detroit, but in Kansas City, probably the people out in western Kansas, like Wichita and Salina, where there might be some Teamsters activity, uh, they would they would have a different contract than, say, New York City, where the cost of living is a lot higher. Too. Yeah, you could get more, but you couldn't get less. Uh, I'll be darned. Uh, and that's, you know, and the mob helped him, like I said, uh, that was a, a, a sort of a concession they made. You know, if 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 Jimmy's going to give them, uh, if Jimmy's going to give them money, and Jimmy's going to going to let them steal every third load or whatever whatever deal, 
uh, Jimmy was making, he did it in exchange for their help with this uh, master freight agreement. So there was, you see a lot of this symbiotic relationship, but you don't see too many of the later presidents using the mob to help them with negotiations. Jimmy really knew how to use power. It was sometime around this time when he was uh, charged with bribery, he had the jury tampering incident. Yeah. He had extorted money from a company, personal money. It was, it was really an extortion charge that uh, he, he, for personal money, and he'd gotten an eight-year prison sentence then he also got he got a conviction on fraud. See, there was a jury tampering, and then there was the extortion. I don't remember the, the details of it, but he fought against it. He was charged in 1964, or 60, 63 or 64. While all that was going on, he was negotiating the master freight, and he continued to appeal over the course of several years. This time he was also saying, yeah, no to the mob and, and really ticking everybody off. Yeah, see, now this was down in Nashville as a trucking yes, company. Yes, right. That uh, they funneled a lot of money to Hoffa because and they wanted to settle a strike. He was being tried for that and he was acquitted. He found out that he actually he bribed a policeman who was married to one of the jurors. <laughs> so, <laughs> Nashville. Nashville cats there, huh? <laughs> so then they actually ended up convicting him of that jury tampering, and he got yeah. tied for that. They didn't go back with the uh, with the other case. Yeah, double jeopardy, yeah. Unlike with uh, Harry Aleman, where they said there was no je no jeopardy the first time. Right. Well, that was uh, where he bribed the judge. That was, yeah. I guess that was a little bit different. Uh, a little easier to, to say, you know, that was definitely, you know, there's only one decider right. on that. Right, and, right, the judge, he yeah. Paid him off. So, and this one, there was 12 deciders, and he only paid off one, and, and really only paid off her husband. But anyhow, he, that's when he got his time, and that's when he was away, when, he, when the mob kind of moved in, wasn't it? So you've got Jimmy, who's already kind of tight with the purse strings, but he goes away finally in, in 1967, and he said, okay... Alan Dorfman and Bill Presser are going to be in charge of the pension. Fitzsimmons will be the acting president, but I'm going to, I'll oversee everything. He went to the uh, Mafia Row in Lewisburg. You see that in, in Goodfellas, and I've heard some guys say, oh, prison wasn't really like that. But I've read quite a few books on, on Mafia Row. Uh, Vinnie Teresa was there, and he talks about it, that, that uh, Carmine Galante basically ran the place. John Gotti was there, Carmine Galante, uh, Vinnie Rao, the uh, consigliere, the Lucchese family, Paul Vario, uh, Henry Hill eventually. That was where Tony Provenzano went to jail in 1966, I think. So you really had every major, uh, just all the, the mob guys, that was where they would be imprisoned in, in Lewisburg. And everything I read said they, they, they ran the place. They they had them in a separate location of the prison they called Mafia Row. Yeah, I've read about that. Of course, we've all seen the Goodfellas the right. movie, and, and they show that. And, and I talked to a prison guard up at Leavenworth, and, and he said, well, what we had, and Russell Bufalino and, and some other guys like that were all in what they called the old man's wing. And he said it was kind of like that. They had money. They could go buy uh, different things at the commissary, and they, they cooked their own, a lot of their own meals, and and kept to themselves, and and you, unless you were invited in, then you didn't, you, you weren't really part of it. And they left him alone because he told kind of a good story about Bufalino was down in, in a line. This was after Hoffa disappeared, and he 
He said, hey, he said, uh, Mr. Buffalino, he said, whatever happened to Jimmy Hoffa? (laughs) (laughs) He said, Buffalo just gave him a look. (laughs) While Jimmy's away, though, that's where they they really see how good they can have it. You've got Dorfman and Presser, who really start building up power, but but they do so by giving away a lot of money. And you've got Fitzsimmons, who he really is good at negotiating contracts. He and, and, and Roy Lee Williams, that's, that's, that's a strength that they do have. But other than that, Fitz just wants to play golf. And, and everybody can do what they want to do. He doesn't, he's not really, uh, just like under Jimmy, he's very, very pliable. And, and he'll, he does whatever. So as long as uh, Dorfman and Bill Presser keep writing the checks and, and Fitzsimmons stays on the golf course, Roy Lee Williams has got the support of the rank and file, so that's keeping the men happy. It doesn't really matter what's going on with, uh, with Jimmy. What you do see during this time is Provenzano went to prison in 66. His brother did take over that local 560 and was on the uh, executive board shortly thereafter. But this is where control sort of swung away from the Genovese to more of the, the Midwestern mobs uh, into um, uh, Chicago with Dorfman and, and uh, Williams in Kansas City. Cleveland was sort of connected closely to the Genovese family, but... But really, you had Chicago, once Tony Provenzano went to prison in 66, his brother was not as strong as, as Tony Provenzano. So this is where Chicago uh, really takes over more greater control of the Union through, uh, through Alan Dorfman. I'd always wondered about that. How did Chicago end up being such a big duck yeah. compared to the New York families? Yeah, was, that was uh, a... Uh, fat Tony Salerno, and uh, he was kind of the... Oversaw Tony Pro, I believe, told me yes. Tony Provenzano, but he he had some connection to that. But he, you know, they just did not have the stick or the say so or the control in the Teamsters Union that Chicago did. Chicago was the man and the guy, you know, and everybody had to get Chicago's permission. They were, you didn't get anything done with the Teamsters unless Chicago approved of it. I always wondered how that happened. So this kind of makes sense with. With the East Coast guy gets locked up and there's nobody really to step in, then uh, Chicago's already got Kansas City in this pocket. Yeah. Lee Williams is a powerful team, sir. Uh, now Cleveland has presser in, in his pocket in their pocket, but but and Cleveland, you know, is, is uh, subservient to the Genovese family. Milwaukee is subservient to Chicago, and they've got a member on the board. So, so really, Chicago is you know they. That's that's how they aced him out. I wondered about that. And Hoffa was always a Detroit guy, so that's where you really see uh, that sort of shift in power. Uh, it was about the time that Tony Pro went to prison. So that's that's kind of my my take on it. Is that's where we're in Chicago, Kansas City, and and Cleveland, who also has close ties to Chicago, they sort of shift their power towards uh towards the uh the more stronger the the, the stronger group well tony pro uh, tony pro and hoffer in prison at lewisburg at the same time yeah so that's when this big falling out they had came if i remember right uh the movie right right yeah they uh they did just very much like the movie there was a there was a a slur tony provenzano was upset about his his commission the movie did get that right and uh, there was, he did say something about you people or people like you, or there was something that, that upset uh, uh, Tony Provenzano uh, along those lines. 
Jimmy stepping on, on the, Tony Provenzano's feet in prison. He's also really trying to keep control of the mob. He, he's trying to control the pension board with, with some of the people who are still on it, even though uh, Fitz, uh, even though uh, Presser and, and uh, Dorfman are, are still controlling it. So Jimmy's starting to gum up the works. He's still trying to, to run things from prison, and that's, that's, he's starting to aggravate people. But this is where Fitzsimmons really start, he, Fitzsimmons doesn't, he's not helping Jimmy get out of prison. He's not taking steps, he's not, that was, that was kind of what, what Jimmy wanted. He wanted Fitz to take political steps to get him out of prison, and that's not happening because uh, uh, people are starting to turn on Jimmy. And stepping on the mob's toes with Tony Provenzano was really a bad, a bad move. Hoffa began, needs, uh, needs political connections really bad during this time, and this is when he created this drive. Was that while he was still in the penitentiary, or did he start that just before? No, he had, that, was, that was earlier, earlier before, he, yeah, before he went, he had created the drive program. I should have had the, the year on there, but the Democrat, Republican, Independent Voter Education, and that was set up by Hoffa earlier to uh, create, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was basically a political war chest, to make political contributions right. to support Correct. different candidates. Yeah. Correct, and and basically Hoffa would just just take money and and put it in there. So every teamster made, whether they knew it or not, they were making contributions to the drive fund. So that was also worth set worth millions of dollars. Uh, Jimmy would make payoffs or donations to senators and congressmen, and so he lined up political power behind the teamsters. That was also. The mob had access to that when Jimmy went to prison. Like I said, that's, that's another war chest for the mob to make political connections. And once Fitzsimmons comes into power, uh, Jimmy had intended for him to use that drive money to make inroads and to, to get Jimmy out of prison, basically, to, to help him out, get a, get a pardon. And Fitz sort of dragged his feet on that, did not help him. They were not going to make connections during, during the Johnson administration. But Nixon did want connections to the Teamsters, and he remembered that it was Jimmy who gave him the money. So around the, uh, 1970, Nixon starts reaching out to the Teamsters. He gets in tight with Fitzsimmons. I think it was Haldeman who, who reached out to Fitzsimmons. And actually, Fitzsimmons starts playing golf with Nixon. They're back and forth playing golf at La Costa, which is built by the Teamsters, and that's where the mob played golf, out in San Diego. The mob sees they've got Fitzsimmons playing golf with the president, so they've got a direct route to the president. They've got all these politicians that are lined up with the drive fund. They've got open access to the pension fund. Uh, nobody's hindering him. Nobody's saying no. Why would they want to go back to Jimmy? Now, that was a particularly good connection that Fitz made with, uh, Absolutely. with the President of the United States. That's, uh, that's almost amazing, isn't it? And, and Nixon will, uh, will use that money. He was, you know, he was famous for, he pioneered this uh, somehow being a Republican, but to get the vote of the working man. <laughs> I still don't understand to this day because it's still going on to this day. How does a Republican get all these union guys to vote for him where historically the Democrats yeah. are the ones that will sponsor legislation that, that is friendly to uh, union labor unions and, and benefits and, and all that. But somehow they've done it. You know, Nixon did it kind of with the anti-war thing. He kind of used the macho-ness of the uh, labor unions to get on board against those uh, weak-willed pussy 
uh, anti-war people who were afraid to go to serve in the army and and kind of use that as a wedge. Yeah. And, and they're they're still doing those Republicans are still doing it today. Not, and I'm not making a political kind. Of, uh, one way or the other, it's just that's just the way it is. That's that's just how it's worked, because it just doesn't make sense that a a, a a labor union would support a Republican. It just it never made sense to me. I think after after Bobby Kennedy too, that kind of left a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, yeah he soured him one. <laughs> of course, he, he he wasn't really against the labor unions as such. He was against the uh, yeah mob control of labor unions. He was trying to do them a favor, but <laughs> somehow they turned that labor management or labor management of the labor unions turned that against the Democrats and and made everybody feel like that the Democrats were going against them when all they were going against, all Bobby Kennedy was going against was the mob influence. Yeah. But that's enough politics, I guess, for this, this particular <laughs> one. <era. laughs> we don't get too far down that path. So where are we at? Uh, Hoffa has resigned from the presidency. Yeah. He's, he's been in prison, but I believe as Nixon is the one that got him out, they made kind of a deal with the devil to get him out, didn't they? Yeah, you know, Hoffa finally agreed to resign in 71 while he's in prison. Fitz was the, he was the acting president, but he comes the actual president. And uh, so Hoffa basically loses total control of the unions. So he's using his people to block pension funds and all. But um, finally, Fitzsimmons does agree to get Jimmy out of prison. I think that the hope was that if we get Jimmy out of prison, he'll stop using his last connections to block everything, to block pension funds. If we just get him out, let him retire, uh, we can we can just neutralize him. And so part of getting Jimmy out of prison was Fitzsimmons asked the White House, get him out, but in doing so, maybe ban him from from the Union until the 80s or so, but for five years. Just, just we'll put him on the shelf, uh, as, a, as the mob would say. We know that uh, FBI informants were aware of a $500,000 in cash raised by Anthony Provenzano and the Genovese family, and another $500,000 were put together by Alan Dorfman in the Chicago outfit. So this is a million dollars that was put together, and this is, this is based on, on much better researched uh, source than, than mine. So this is a million dollars put together between the Genovese and the Chicago outfit it was put together and delivered to, and I, I know that it's in the, the Irishman, but this is based on a real, real source that I got this from. And it was put together and delivered to Nixon. And Nixon's tapes talk about a million dollars in cash that he's able to receive, the, the recordings of Nixon's White House that, 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 he, that he recorded of himself. Nixon receives this million dollars. Jimmy gets a pardon and his removed from, and, he, and he gets out of prison. But as part of that, and as part of the deal made with uh, Fitz, he is banned from participating in the Teamsters for five years. So Jimmy's out, but the mob has finally kicked him out of the Teamsters totally. He's done. He can't. He can't participate, even even out of prison. He's basically been cut off, and Jimmy is furious, totally apoplectic, just beside himself that his union, that he created, has been taken away from him. And, you know, the rank and file would have still supported Jimmy. Yes. Uh, he could have still gone to the rank and file, even though he's not supposed to be doing anything. Uh, he could have still gone to the rank and file. And he did. I mean, he signed an agreement, but it wasn't like he was on parole where they could bounce his back right. in the penitentiary. It was a pardon. 
And so Nixon can't go say, oh, well, you, you didn't stay out of Teamsters business, so we're going to bounce you back into the right. penitentiary. You know, I'm sure he kept making moves because he was not going to give that up. I'm, I'm sure of that. Now he's put his whole life, every fiber of his being as a Teamster into this, and now they expect him to stay out uh, of Teamster business? I don't think so. Right. Uh, now, I did You're notice exactly that, right. uh, that you pointed out that during this time, Fitz Simmons, he had Roy Lee Williams kind of on his side. And yes. Roy Lee Williams was was owned by the Chicago, I mean, the Kansas City mob, and Kansas City would have talked to Chicago, and, and they would have all agreed that Roy Lee Williams needs to stay on Fitz's side and not support yeah. any return by Hoffa. I'm sure of that. They would yeah. have had to have done that. I don't know if your research found that, but yeah, you're it right. just makes sense. And, and Roy Lee Williams, kind of like Alan Dorfman, they were both war heroes out of World War II, and most of your teamsters were World War II vets. Yeah. And, and see, they were like a, a man's man, both of them, and, and especially Williams, because he'd have come up through the Teamsters Union. He didn't right. come up because his father was a Teamster, like Dorfman. He came up through being a truck driver, and so he had immensely respect by uh, Teamsters, rank-and-file Teamsters, so he could, could kind of help fend off that any Hoffa moves through the rank-and-file for a exactly. while. Exactly. He was... With Roy Lee Williams, they were able to, like you said, they had they had the rank and file. He was the only guy, aside from Jimmy Hoffa, who could really get the men behind him. You know, Hoffa was very popular with the men. Fitzsimmons, not so much. Guys like like uh, 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 Bill Presser and, and Alan Dorfman, maybe not so much. But Roy Lee Williams was really highly regarded. And the, the men knew who he was. And knew that he was he was in the trenches with them, and he was had been in the trenches with them both in the war and and in the cab, and he was really really well regarded, and that was that really counted for a lot. The optics of that were very important. We're up to the early seventies. Yeah, uh, probably. Let's just uh, let's let's come back next time and start talking about the Teamsters and the Skim and Las Vegas and and what went on in the seventies is kind of to the beginning of the end. Is also then. Uh, Hoffa's fight to uh, to uh, get back into the saddle, shall we say, with the uh, uh, Teamsters and, and take an active part. That's an interesting story in itself. All right. All right, Cam, it's been great. And folks, we will we will bring you the uh, probably the third and final probably the third and final episode, don't you think, Cam? We can do this in one yeah, more I think episode. we can we can sprint through. Uh, we can probably sprint through and uh, and knock the rest of it out. It's a pretty good story. It's a big one, though. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the uh, the pizza connection was the last time we did one of these big stories. Yeah. If you're a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be from PTSD that's connected to your service time, call your local vet center or the local VA hospital in your area, or there's a national hotline, 1-800-273-8255, and press 1 if you're a vet. You can go to www.ptsd.va.gov, and this site contains a lot of uh, interesting information and a lot of good resources. When the COVID's over, as we say, when the COVID-19 virus is over and everybody's getting back to work, you can hit me up for a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on my Venmo app, Gangland Wire. I've got my two movies out there, Brothers Against Brothers, The Savella Spiro War, and Gangland Wire, which is the kind of the story behind the movie Casino, the story about the mob war in Kansas City that led to the uncovering of the skimming information. Got Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. Get the Kindle version. You can link the uh, 
I've linked the wiretaps, actual audio from wiretaps to sections in the book. Good evening, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.